and welcome back to the Curiosity Chamber. This is Season 3, Episode 10, and with me today is the founder of Forever Family Foundation, the author of The Medium Explosion, and currently featured in the Netflix docuseries Surviving Death. He has also been investigating evidence of life after death since 2003. This is Bob Ginsberg. Thanks for being here, Bob. Nice to be with you, Jay. Thanks for inviting me. Sure. How you doing today? All righty. And you? I'm good. I just got in from a motorcycle ride, but uh, depending on how this conversation goes, I might be selling that. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so, so listen, this, this is a very, very controversial uh, topic here because it's so personal to each individual. And um, just before we start, I'd like to, to let you know that I'm an open-minded skeptic. When it comes to this, so, you know, being able to communicate with the uh, the spirit realm is just, I think it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable for most people. So, but, but trust me, I want this to be true so bad. I mean, I watch every single episode of every single season of Ghost Adventures. I mean, at nighttime, when I was younger, I would go into graveyards at midnight and searching for ghosts. So I've always been drawn to this for as long as I can remember. So hopefully with, with your knowledge and, and experience and some firsthand situations, I'll be able to, to have a more confidence um, thought process when it comes to this particular area. So it, it looks like you've been researching this evidence for uh, survival of consciousness soon after your daughter died in 2002. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'll, I'll preface what I'm about to say by telling you that um, I too remain an open-minded skeptic. You know, I think open-minded skepticism is different than being a closed-minded skeptic because yeah. if you're closed-minded, you're just not going to accept any evidence that's put before you. You know, when you're open-minded, you'll at least look at the evidence and inform your own your own opinion. Exactly. Um, I, you know, prior to 2002, um, I would have said that it was virtually impossible for anything to survive physical death because we were our brains and our brains die. And so our brains are no more and we're no more. And that was it, you know, final kaput. Um, and then, um, you know, on, on the morning, like at 3 a.m. one morning in 2002, I mean, September 1st to be exact, uh, my wife woke up in bed um, and just shot up and she was trembling and she was like ashen white and shaking. And I said, what's the matter? And she didn't answer me. And I said, tell me what's the matter. And she said, something devastatingly horrible is going to happen today. Yeah. Uh, and I said, well, you know, what does that mean? You know? And she said, I can't tell you exactly, but you know, it's going to change our lives forever. So I didn't, you know, even though I didn't believe in any of these things, you know, uh, I, I took it seriously because we were married for many, many, many years. And, and has she ever done anything like that? Previously? Well, was, she always had um, she she was always um, somewhat intuitive. And there were times yeah. in our lives together when she would have these visions or premonitions of things that were going to occur and every one of them played out exactly the way that she said. They happened to be all good things, but logic told me if she was right then, you know, she could be right now. And I, I took it seriously, and I watched over our three kids, you know, because a parent, what was the first thing you think of as your children? Yes. And, you know, my, my middle daughter was already um, back at her university, and I was going to take my son to his school the next day and my youngest daughter was working a part-time job and I dropped her off in the morning and I let my guard down at night and I let it fade from my awareness and we all went out to dinner and we had two cars and to make a long story short uh, my son and my daughter uh, were involved in a crash on the way home my daughter didn't survive and my son um, was airlifted um, to a hospital with significant brain injuries where he stayed in a, a coma for a while. So uh, my son eventually, um, you know, did survive and, and 
you know, I was in a state of a sh- state of shock for about a month. And then yeah. about a month later, I, I said, wait a second. I remembered that morning. I said, well, how did Fran, you know, my wife know? Um, Cause she knew, I mean, I was there. I mean, she was trembling. She said something was going to happen. And I took the scientific uh, approach and I started meeting with medical doctors and scientists and researchers across the United States that studied consciousness. Um, yeah. And specifically, um, whether the mind can act independently of the physical brain, um, and therefore, was it possible that our mind or our consciousness or our soul or whatever you want to call it survived a physical death? And and that would mean that, you know, was my daughter's, did she still exist in some form? Um, so I became obsessed with this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the more I learned, and I, I was reading literally hundreds upon hundreds of books, um, the more I was startled by the evidence. Um, and the evidence um, first started off in, in, in things like telepathy and ESP and remote viewing and things of that nature, and then into near-death experiences and deathbed visions and reincarnation and mediumship and a host of other things uh, you know, that, um, you know, just showed that we were a whole lot more than, than our physical bodies, would, you know, uh, as it would appear. Um, and uh, I, I had the privilege of, of, of participating in some research. And um, I think I remained um, skeptical for about seven years. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, eventually... For some project, you know, we were, you know, mostly my wife was having all these personal experiences and I was having these dream visitations and I would write every single thing down, all these incredible things. And one day I had about 20 things that like couldn't possibly have happened. And I, I actually took them to a statistician and I had the statistician calculate the odds against chance about each one of these things occurring. And when I had... 20 million to one shots. <laughs> I, you know, I just said to myself, you know what? Right. I gotta, I have to be true to myself and I, I can't continue to ignore the evidence. And that's when I started to turn the corner, you know, meanwhile, uh, you know, in 2003, we started, you know, forever family foundation, which is now a, a global you know, organization. And, um, so, you know, at the beginning, I was doing all these lectures and talks, and I felt like a hypocrite because I was telling people about all the evidence, and I truly didn't buy in myself, you know. But, of course, <laughs> over the years, you know, right. that, that changed. And I don't know, did, did you get a chance to watch the uh, Surviving Death series on Netflix? No, I was going to ask you questions about that. I did not yeah, watch I mean, it. Yeah, you should watch it, especially for you, as, you know, being, uh, you know, somewhat skeptical because it goes into a lot of the things that I'm talking about. I mean, we were featured in one episode, but there, there were many, it was six episodes and um, some of the things that I've been talking about, you know, are shown in that show. So you were saying dream visitations. Can you elaborate a little bit more? On yeah. That? Yeah, sure. You know, you know, we all have what I call regular dreams, you know, which is just, a rehashing of days events or things that happened in our past. And, you know, it, it, it has to do with our physical brain and our, and our memories and, you know, and uh, nothing paranormal about it. Yeah. But the theory is that people in spirit, when your mind is, is, is at rest, like during certain stages of sleep, a conduit opens up and they're able to project their consciousness onto yours. And in a dream visitation, you're able to see your deceased loved one um, and it's very tactile. Not only can you see them, but you, sometimes you could touch them or hug them or smell them or kiss them and have a conversation with them. Um, and when you wake up from that, unlike a normal dream, you remember it, you know, you don't forget it and it, and it stays with you. And even though I really don't consider myself to have any intuitive ability at all, I had, over the years, I had 72 dream visitations from my daughter. Were you documenting these? Uh, I, I wrote, them, I wrote yeah. each and every one down. Okay. Um, and um, 
there's value to that because also, you know, when those times when you're questioning yourself or you're extremely sad, you could pull those out and read them, you know. Um, and and, so, and I always recommend whether people have mediumship readings or have any type of um, non-physical experience, they should always journal it, you know, for future reference. So um, a lot of people, you know, because of the the nature of the work that we do in the foundation, a lot of people tell us about these dream visitations that they have, including, you know, other types of, of experiences. And, you know, it's considered to be anecdotal evidence, but, um, and scientists tend to dismiss anecdotal evidence because it can't be replicated in a, in a lab. But when you have, you know, millions and millions and millions of these anecdotal cases over the years, and they all have like similar descriptions, you have to pay attention, you know, anecdotal evidence, you know, is evidence and, 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 and you have to pay attention to the sheer, you know, number of these reports. Was there a certain time after your daughter passed that you started noticing these visitations kept like kept coming in waves or was it like after a couple of years it started happening or right away? No, it, it happened. Um, you know, I would say it started happening within weeks after my daughter's passing. As a matter of fact, well, first time that I got one, it was kind of interesting. I, I, my son was released, um, you know, from the hospital and he had to go to, um, I had to take him every day to an outpatient, you know, brain, um, you know, clinic where they work with people that had, you know, brain injuries, but he was doing well. And we all decided to take a trip up to, uh, Pennsylvania, where my daughter was at Carnegie Mellon University, because we wanted to make sure that she was doing okay. So I went up there, my wife went up there, uh, my son went up there and his girlfriend at the time. And we all stayed in a hotel. And my daughter, instead of staying, deciding to, st in the, to stay in the dorm, she stayed in the hotel with us. And that night, I went to sleep. And I had this visitation, you know, from my daughter, Bailey. And I you know, I woke up and, and I, I couldn't catch my breath and my heart was racing and my wife was going to drive me to the hospital because she thought I was having a heart attack. For sure, yeah. Um, and I, I just I just was so overwhelmed and excited that I couldn't control myself. And eventually I fell asleep um, and then she came to me again. Matter of fact, she came to me like three times, you know, dur during that night. The interesting thing is when we went for breakfast in the morning, um, I mentioned, you know, these dreams that I had, and I found out that my wife also had a visitation, and my daughter um, had a visitation, and my son's girlfriend had a visitation. So four people in the same in the same hotel um, yeah. Yeah. who had never had any such kind of experience like that before, all had um, a visitation from from my daughter. So. What that told me was that um, our consciousness can be split, you know, it can be many places all at once, you know, time and space mean nothing in this, in the dimension in which exactly. they reside. Yes, yes, I agree with that. I was going to say, perhaps you can contribute that from a traumatic experience that you were, you were thinking about her constantly. So it was kind of like a dream to you, but you're saying that everyone in the hotel who's never had these before had it, which, which leads me to believe that you can kind of cancel that out. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, and, and I also agree with your first statement that yes, I mean, if it just happened to me, I could see why people would question it. But, yeah. you know, four people, you know, at virtually in the same time frame is uh, beyond probable, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to ask about your your son when he was in a coma state. Um, how long was he in that coma for? Yeah, um, it it wasn't really long. It was about you know four days. Um, yeah, and then they were telling us you know they they had no idea. Um, first they said they had no idea how long he would be in a coma. Then they said when if he when he come when he comes out of the coma, um, they don't know to what extent is his, you know, his brain injuries are, you know, so we just have to wait and see. And, um, luckily, um, he did make a, a full recovery. He had some extensive surgery, like his eye socket was broken and things like that and some yeah. reconstructive stuff. But today you would never know it. And he's, 
he went back to, to college and his teachers said that he was getting better grades than before the accident. So I don't know how to explain that. Wow. That's interesting. I yeah. want to, I want to know if, if he has any resurrection of, of the, um, that coma, like what was his, his mind in a void or like, was he having an out of body experience? No, um, he, he, um, he did not, at least not that he related to us. He also has absolutely no memory of the accident. It's totally erased, um, which is probably a good thing. For sure. Uh, you know, uh, so, um, so he kind of, um, if he did have any experiences with, which a lot of people have yeah, uh, when yeah. they're, when, you know, when, when they're in a coma or have a near death experience, um, uh, if he did, he didn't. He didn't mention. He also, interestingly enough, claim, claims that he never dreams, which I doubt. You know, he just doesn't remember. <laughs> doesn't remember him. Right, he'll, right. He'll tell me that he's never had a dream. So right. That's an unusual guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. What are, what are the the, uh, the most common theories about life after death? Since, since you were speaking to a lot of scientists, what the did that ever come up? What the most common theories about life after death, as in like, you know, like you remain a spirit in this realm or, you know, you go to a heaven. Yeah, just, uh, you know, most of the evidence seems to indicate that you, um, you wake up in, a, in another dimension. Um, many people don't realize that they're dead. Um, and, and um, as you would expect in any new environment, um, there's like an adjustment period, you know, yes. and supposedly there's help, you know, that you receive on the other side and, and you're an entity of thought. Um, and you, um, for instance, I mean, you mentioned that you watched, you know, some of these, you know, ghost shows and things of that nature, but, yeah. um, you know, in, there's such a thing as psychokinesis of mind affecting matter. Um, and, and, and scientists from around the world have done extensive research on that, where you could use your mind to move a physical object. Mm -hmm. uh, but the theory is that the person in the spirit realm is still a, a conscious entity, and they still, they still have a mind, so they can exercise psychokinesis from the other dimension to, to move things in this realm, you know, make things happen. So here's uh, kind of where I veer off a little bit. And I, I've been thinking about this for so long. I have so many questions. Um, like, do you think it matters the way that you die that determines kind of your spiritual journey or whatever happens next? For example, like if you get in a plane accident, because essentially like everything gets vaporized, right? There's just nothing left. And like, and then for another example, you just die in your sleep where everything is still intact, still have a brain. You think that makes a difference? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think it um, it doesn't matter because you know your the body is just a shell uh, that was it's a temporary a housing. You yeah. know, so um, how, how, however, what's interesting is um, uh, you know people that that have near death experiences have all sorts of of common um, things that they talk about that happens during during the time that they physically died. And incidentally, they, they meet, these people meet every definition that medical science has for, uh, for death. They have no, they have no brain waves. They have no respiration. They have no heartbeat. They have no reflexes. I mean, they're dead as far as science is, you know, is concerned. Right. Clinically and, dead. You know, yeah. clinically dead. And yet when they're resuscitated, um, they have all this uh, clear and lucid, you know, thinking. Sometimes they can um, have a vantage point that they describe being outside of their body and watching everything that's going on. Uh, sometimes that they're in the afterlife, they see deceased, lo you know, loved ones and so forth. But a lot of them describe having a life review. And what's interesting about that is that they describe it as a movie reel that, that goes by of everything that happened in their life. Um, and while it's happening, they get to feel all of the, the good that they bestowed upon others, all the compassion and all the love and, you know, how they made others feel. But on the other side, they also feel all of the harm um, and um, pain that they may have inflicted upon others. And that's not a great feeling. Um, so 
there's an incentive to to, to live a good life. Uh, but the, the consensus is that no matter what, you know, when you're, you know, when you're in this other dimension, I mean, you, you tend to, there's, there's no judgment by a, you know, a, a deity, you know, or a panel uh, or a tribunal that you sit before and says, okay, you go here and you go there. It's all self-judgment. And we tend to gravitate towards others of, of like mind while we're there, you know? So maybe people that weren't so nice or gathering together in one place and, people that, you know, are very compassionate, loving or in another place. But no matter where you are, if you want to call it a level or whatever it is, there are, um, there's a period of progression, you know, in learning. And, and uh, so it may take a little longer than others, but nobody's doomed to a, a life of, of suffering and pain. I mean, there is, you know, that, that's only in the physical world. Yeah. And <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna bring this up, but you kind of just killed it at the end there but i was gonna say (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say i can remember a few instances like legit i had some near-death experiences and then when you were just bringing up that a lot of a lot of the theories are that you you watch it unreal right and you feel like the good things you do but you feel the bad things you've done as well so in my mind instantly i'm like well shit what if i'm dead right now and i'm um, it's a first person view because I'm, I'm feeling everything I, like feels good when I do good things for, for other people feels real bad when I do bad things. And you said some people don't know they're actually dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. At the beginning, uh, I, I would think, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, if you were a fish in the water and you lived, you know, your whole life um, in that environment and you thought that was the vast universe, you know, and then, you know, you could never explain, you know, this this physical world that we live in, you know, that would be so far. And so if they came into this world, you know, that, you know, it would, that, you know, they wouldn't believe it. And you know, so, so I think that uh, I don't, you know, I think I don't necessarily agree with people that talk about like spirits being stuck, you know, and, and it was one of my other questions. Yeah, if the, the, spirits get I'm stuck. sorry, I'm taking all your questions. No, it's good. It's like <laughs> You're on it. You've been doing this for so long. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, you know, I mean, a lot of people, uh, they talk about, you know, the spirits and they're, they're people that they do this for a living as they call the light workers and they help me people supposedly move to the light. What's interesting is that, you know, we've been working with, mediums uh, since 2005 you know we have a certification program and it's a science-based evaluation and um, I mean I, I wrote a book called the medium explosion and in that book I, I didn't it didn't make me very friendly in the mediumship community because I stated that based upon my ex- experience and research that 85 to 90 percent of all the practicing mediums um, cannot do what they claim um, which is not to say that they're all fraudulent. Some are, uh, yeah. but mostly they just have some intuitive ability, as do we all. Um, but they have very limited ability to talk to a discarnate, you know, entity. You and I are on the same page a lot because I was gonna, I was gonna bring <laughs> up, I was gonna bring up the median thing. Um, yeah. I was gonna say that if if a median has that that power or that ability we all have it. They can just like a sports player, right? Like some people can throw a baseball really far. Others can't, but they still can throw it. You know what I mean? So we all have the ability. It's just maybe it's channeling it or something. Yeah. You know, a lot of people like to use the analogy, like, you know, and you know, you can, anybody, uh, you know, can play the piano, but you're not going to get the Carnegie Hall. You know, there are some people that, <laughs> exactly. you know, are at a, a totally different level. And yeah. I find that, you know, with, with, with mediumship, there are, there are some elite mediums that, you know, they're like 90% accurate uh, with really well, Hollywood really medium. specific. Uh, you know, I don't go with the whole, all those. <laughs> There's a million different names. This medium, that <laughs> right. medium. You know, when you, have to, yeah, when you have to attach yourself with a name, it's all marketing. You know? <laughs> For but, sure. Yeah. When 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 I'm evaluating them, I don't really give a shit what their name is. You know? <laughs> I like you, yeah. Yeah. but um, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, you know, every once in a while we come. You know, we've been, as I mentioned, so we've been certifying mediums since 2005. So that's what 17 years, 
And in 17 years, we have 25 mediums that we've certified. So it's not a lot <laughs> because yeah. those statistics hold up. I mean, we have to evaluate 10 mediums to find one that can do it. And, and I feel like that's how it should be. That that seems like a reasonable percentage. Like you can't say that everyone out there that's a medium is is 100% going to connect with a, a past loved one, you know, on the yeah. other side. There's just no way. There's yeah, no I, way. I, I, and you're right. And, and today, um, it's especially difficult because, um, you know, after COVID started, all the mediums stopped doing med- uh, readings in person. So all the meetings, the readings they were doing were on, you know, Zoom and or other, you know, meeting uh, platforms. And um, one of our certified mediums was telling me a story where he caught another medium was doing a reading uh, on Zoom, and so the medium had the person's first and last name. So the, the medium had a split screen. On the left side, uh, they had the, the, the sitter's uh, video, you know, in front of them, so the medium and the sitter could see each other. And on the other side of the medium's uh, screen was the, the sitter's uh, Facebook page open. Oh, And the medium was reading back Every single thing that, that you know, she found out on Facebook, and the sitter had the sit had no idea. You know, most people don't yeah. really know what mediumship is, and and she thought it was the greatest. She was sitting with the greatest medium in in the, in the world because the medium was getting everything right. So uh, it's yeah. very careful. Everybody has to be uh, on their guard today. Unfortunately, yeah, uh, there's a lot of fraud out there. I can see two sides of that. I mean. Sure, that's that's really unethical for sure. There's no doubt about that. But what are your thoughts on if that medium that had the Facebook open and was kind of reassuring this person that who she was and everything was okay, and that gave the client kind of peace of mind to go about you know the rest of their life? Yeah, I totally get what you're saying, and a lot of people do bring that up, but I don't buy it because I, I I just yeah. To me, it's just false hope, and and it's not right mm-hmm. to give somebody false hope, you know. Yeah. So, um, I hate when I see that. And you know, there's a lot of you know, the mediums when we when we're um, you know investigating them, it's a it's like a five step process, and one of the requirements is they have to complete. It's about a seven or an eight page extensive application, and we ask a lot of questions, and. Um, you know, some of the mediums, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question. I'll say, what's more important, the evidence or the messages of love? You know, and, and, and some of the mediums will say, oh, it's, it's just the messages that are important. And I, and I, and I say, no, I disagree because, yeah, the messages are important, but you can only accept it as, as a sitter if I'm convinced that you as the medium are really talking to my loved one. Otherwise, the message, you know, telling me that, you know, that my wife loves me is great, but, you know, I, I know she did. And, and uh, where's the evidence? How do I know you're talking to her? So yeah. first you have to, est- any good medium will establish, um, give you the evidence that the connection is really there. Then that can give you, you know, messages that are meaningful. So what does your five-step process look like to certify? Well, you know, we never solicit um, any medium ourselves because it's uh, we want to protect the integrity of the program. We we don't charge for any money. No money changes hands, and even if they're certified, they, you know, they can't pay to be listed on our website. I mean, we do that on our own. So the first step is somebody. There are instructions on our website uh, if they were interested in in, uh, in that to send us an email. And they do, and then we send them out another uh, email with about four or five short questions. We just want to get a feel for where they're at and see if there's any red flags. Um, and if that looks okay, um, we'll uh, we'll send them out, you know, an application that comes back. It's reviewed by committee. If it's agreed upon that we think that we should move the medium on further. Uh, then the then an interview was done, like a forty five minute interview, again with another you know series of questions, and then if, if then it's reviewed by committee again, and if everything is a go, we invite them to be evaluated in our program. 
and then it takes place now. It was different back back then, but you know, it all takes place um, uh, via Zoom. Um, the medium and the sitter in, in four of the readings can see each other, and one of them um, is you know voice only. We maintain a, a pool of trained sitters, you know, sitters that we train in mediumship and how to score a piece of information and what specific information versus a general statement and so forth. Um, and then we have five different scoring mechanisms and they have to meet the guidelines in each one of, of the five. Um, it, it's, it's tough, but it's also, and I realize this, it's, it makes even the best mediums nervous because a medium has never really been put in a clinical position or an atmosphere where they're being tested, so to speak. Right, um, right, right. And I, I mean, I had a, a medium three weeks ago that started to have a nervous breakdown during the reading. I had to no way. Had to, had to talk her down and, and stop the, the the reading and try to reassure her and the whole thing. But um, so you know, it it's and and for that reason. I tell mediums that, you know, if they don't gain certification, they're welcome to try again, you know, thinking that they'll be more comfortable and they'll know what to expect and they can relax more. And sometimes, yeah. you know, that holds up. But um, so it's a it's a comprehensive, you know, uh, evaluation. Does that mean that all the mediums that we certify or never get anything wrong or never have a bad reading? No. But what we found over the years is that the mediums that we've certified are a lot more consistent. They rarely have a bad reading. They That's almost great. never fail to connect. And a lot of them have gone on to work with scientists in, in research settings. Um, so That is fantastic. Yeah, that's a thorough process. Good for you. I'm so happy to hear that. I had no idea, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners had no idea that was taking place. Yeah, that not too many people do. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of, like, private people and organizations that they say they're certified mediums and it's sort of like uh, getting your license to be a reverend, you know, send me 300 bucks. And, and that's, <laughs> exactly. you know, you're right. You're right. That's not what we do. <laughs> well, what can people expect from a, a medium? Well, um, you know, a lot of people, they, they don't know the difference between a psychic and a medium, you know, and there is a difference and that a psychic can be very proficient and, and, reading somebody somebody's mind um a living you know person's mind and that's a, a gift within itself we're not really interested in that because we're trying to show evidence of, of life after death and that that you know reading some a living mind doesn't really show that um so it's really hard sometimes to differentiate what's a piece of psychic information versus a piece of spirit communication for instance if jay if you're the medium um and I'm the sitter, and you say to me, uh, "Hey, Bob, uh, did you just paint your bedroom blue? Because I'm seeing that you paint." And let's say I really did, and I, I'd say, "Wow, you know, that that's a great hit." But it's not a hit that we're going to score because you didn't tie that into anybody in spirit that's telling you this, you know. But if you were bringing through my deceased wife, and you were giving me um, seven or eight really specific um, pieces of information that nobody you know, could research. Yes. And then you said to me, Hey, you know, your wife is telling me that she likes you just that you just repainted the bedroom. Then I can accept that as a piece of significant information. Right. Okay. Okay. That's good. It's good information. Um, so when it comes to death, my point of view is, is it's a mere moment. So just like if you're, you know, if you're in high school and, you have a project due the next day and you didn't do it. You fear for that day to come, right? You literally don't think anything past that moment exists because it's such a monumental moment, but just like with anything else that passes. And I believe that's just like dying. Like that will pass too. But, but then it gets complicated because time as a human is probably completely different than time when you're dead. And that's just kind of how I see it. Yeah. You know, and, and, you raise an interesting point about fear because, you know, a large percentage of the population lives their life in, in fear of death. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I lived most of my life um, in terrible fear of, of death. I could not conceive of being extinguished forever as if I never existed. It made no sense to me. And I found it a, a, 
just not acceptable, you know. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, like that. So I think one of the, the, the one of the values of learning about all of this evidence that we talk about is for people that um, just have a fear of their own mortality, and perhaps that can help in some respect. Because if you believe that you're going to continue on just in another form, that yeah. might allow you to live your life more fully instead of being afraid of, of, of dying, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you one thing that changed my life um, when it comes to death, and that was psychedelics. I mean, I I saw a different – something happened to me when, when I was under the influence of that, and I just – there was just a complete peace that came over me. And ever since that moment, I do not fear uh, what happens next. I mean, it's it's inevitable. You can't stop it. Just it's going to happen. So why why fear it? Why live in in that fear? It happens to everybody. Yeah, it's a, it's a great you know observation, and it's good that you feel that way. Uh, interesting about psychedelics is that um, you know back when I was going to college, um, you know you had you know Timothy Leary and all, you know all the people you know with LSD, and and um, yes. it was like a taboo, and there was a lot of research that was going on, and then the government shut it down. Yeah, um, over the past you know, 10 years, it's, it's made a big resurgence. And I know four or five prominent um, scientists and medical doctors that are studying um, the therapeutic effects of psychedelics yes. uh, right yeah. now. So it's, 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 it's come full circle. Yeah. Yeah. There's an organization called MAPS and that's, um, that's what they do. They, they use psychedelic drugs for clinical research. And I mean, a lot of their research is, is really exciting and i it's helping a lot of people with ptsd i'll tell you that yeah yeah it's off the charts what it's doing for people with ptsd you know i I tell you what what struck me i you know we've been doing a radio show since 2005 and you know i've interviewed you know hundreds of people and um there's a guy named uh uh, Rick Strassman, he's a medical doctor, and he wrote the book called The DMT Mind. I've read it. Okay. So, um, good. you know, um, I had Rick on a couple of times. He's, in, you know, he's since written, you know, another book. I haven't had a chance to read it. But what, what I, after I read that book and I talked to him about it is, so every human being, you know, has this hallucinogenic, you know, substance, mm-hmm. you know, in their brains, you know. Yes. This, we scientists believe it might be in the you know uh, pineal gland in your brain, um, and not only human beings but all species, all animals, plants, you know, have this DMT. And I was scratching my head trying to figure out why. If you believe that everything has a design to it, and certainly this, our bodies and the universe seems to have a some sort of exquisite design. What possible purpose would there be to have this, you know, hallucinogenic substance in our in our brains? And and a lot, you know, that which made me think that perhaps all of these, you know, experiences that we have um, is triggered when you know that, that that substance is released from the from the pineal gland, um, you know, and and maybe that's part of the design, and we're meant to use it, and our ancestors did because they regularly communed, um, you know, with their ancestors. Um, right. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's really interesting, you know, I mean, yeah. he's, one, he's one of the people that that's a, a, a forerunner in this. In oh, yeah. Yeah. I love him. Um, the interesting thing about DMT is everyone that has used it kind of their experiences resemble each other. Um, they all, they all can, in detail describe the realm that they're at and it's it's all so similar which is so fascinating to me yeah you know and, and that's you know from a research point of view when when things match yeah. up i mean it's right. significant you know Love that. yeah um so i mean it really is i um a lot of people i, I had one experience in college i've only done i did mescaline and that was the only time in my life that I did it because I have the type of personality where I start to panic when I lose control. I always yeah. have to be in control. Yep. So it didn't, and you know, I, I didn't have a, a great experience. Plus the fact that 
I did a million things before I took the mesquin, and I found out later that I took four times the normal dose. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's experience. The thing that stays with me is that I was seeing um, fractals and, and geometric yeah. shapes all over. You yeah. Know? That, yeah. That kind of makes sense because that seems to be yes the basis of our universe. You know, <laughs> right, right, and that's what a lot of the uh, the people that take DMT explain in detail what you just mentioned, the fractals. Yeah. So I, I wonder when you die, is it a way to cope with death and it takes you away to that that realm? And another interesting thing is, do you stay there? That's, that's the big ticket item I want to know. I, I, that raises the next question is, do you think that we will ever have a 100% certainty what happens life after death? I don't know. You know, I mean, I get the question asked a lot and, and, you know, is there, is there definitive proof of an afterlife? I mean, I was once on a, on a, a news, uh, uh, you know, popular news station in San Francisco. And, and um, they introduced me saying, you know, next we're going to have Bob Ginsburg, vice president of forever family foundation, who's going to give us definitive proof of oh. an afterlife. And I'm sitting in the green room going, shit, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, and, it, and they're just like these talking heads with these uh, cue cards in front of them. Yeah. So Bob, what is that? And I explained to them that, you know, in a logical fashion, the evidence from, from these things we've been talking about, the NDEs and so forth. And I, you know, I wasn't, you know, getting anywhere, but the best way I can explain it is, 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 is in a court, court of law, you have to show, you know, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And sure. I think we've reached that point with the abundance of evidence that um, there is no reasonable doubt. So in that sense, I think we have proof, but a definitive absolute proof of an afterlife, um, you know, maybe someday, certainly not in my lifetime, but um, um, I think one day, we, you know, we might get there. Uh, the interesting you know, thing and, is... And, and, you know, with your other question, I mean, do we stay? I mean, you, you, we're talking about like staying in one specific place in, in the afterlife realm or... Yeah. Yeah. So most of the, the consensus is that, um, no, you know, that we're always moving uh, a lot of people like to describe it in terms of frequency and vibration you know so the higher you go the higher vibratory level uh, of a being that you are which makes it e even more difficult to communicate with the dense physical world that 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 vibrates at a much um uh, slower you know frequency um and um so yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, if you're this entity of thought and you can manifest things and you can explore and go wherever you want to go, there's a lot of, a lot of things to do. Oh, I don't think yeah. you're going to be bored. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Immortality is is interesting to me. And when, when I say that, I'm talking about where the future seems to be going, about like uploading your consciousness into a computer and stuff like that. That seems like it's playing with uh, with nature in a sense or with spirits or I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on, yeah, it's a little scary to me. Um, I don't, I, I was thinking about that today. As a matter of fact, I, I don't think there's any We're doubt. On the same page always. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt that, um, you know, when, in the next, you know, hundred years or so that scientists will figure out, ways for us to live hundreds of years because they'll have cures for all these d horrible diseases that are killing us now. Yeah. Um, um, that's if, <laughs> that's if the uh, <laughs> medical community and the pharmaceutical companies will <laughs> allow it to happen. Uh, for sure. For sure. But, um, you know, I mean, living, but is, is living, forever in a physical body really, you know, going to be better than what may lie ahead of us. You know? I want to die, sir. Yeah. At some point, you know, right. Yeah, like, I mean, I've already I, came to that conclusion. Like if I, you offer me immortality, I will say no, yeah, sir. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people, it's like, I had enough, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'll, 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 I'll move on. <laughs> Time to clock out at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Well, um, I want to 
get your thought on if you've ever thought about this um before we're born um technically we don't exist so are we dead because we don't yet exist like what are your thoughts on that have you ever deeply thought about that like the time all the time before you were born well you know this is is a uh... You know, there's, there's a there's a research explanation and a spiritual explanation. I mean, the spiritual explanation would be that um, we're part, we have a soul, and the soul, it's just a soul fragment of many, many, many fragments that may not have only existed in many, many, many different lifetimes, but physicists theorize that we may exist um, you know, there might be seven or eight of us, and you know, at the same time, and in, in different dimensions, living different lives. You know, so uh, and then and then the reincarnation comes into play. Um, last week, I interviewed uh, Dr. Jim Tucker, who also you know appears in that in the Netflix Surviving Death series, and he's an expert in in, in reincarnation research. Um, you know, when people talk about um, Sometimes they'll talk about their life between lives. So, you know, they they die. They're in this in between place, like a limbo. And, they, and yeah, well, it's not even limbo. They're in the afterlife. Um, okay. But um, and they, you know, uh, they're this entity of thought, like everybody in the, in the afterlife is. But they decide that they want to give it another go, um, and they reincarnate back into the physical world. So we know where they've been. Then that raises another question: like, why the hell would you want to reincarnate to a life of poverty or, or tragedy exactly. or disease? And and then the explanation that people give is well, because that's what your soul needed for completion. It was missing that that part. Um, you know, my argument always in the reincarnation piece is that people say that we come here to learn lessons, and there's more lessons to learn which very well may be true, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like a cruel joke because you don't remember the lesson you came back to learn. So how do you learn it? <laughs> you know, <it's> like... <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. I often think about that too. There are so many theories that I get stuck on, especially that um, the resurrection one, or like living the same life over and over again until you get it right. And that's what deja vu is. And along yeah, um, you know, I, I don't, um, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, the way scientists study reincarnation is they investigate thousands upon thousands of cases of children's past life memories, and then they they become detectives and they they research, you know, all the the information that the child is giving about about the the person that they were in the previous life, you know, autopsy records, medical records, and, you know, school records and things like that. And sometimes they'll be fortunate, well, they'll be able to identify the previous uh, family and go to visit them, you know, and then, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the people were amazed at the, how the kid could know, you know, all these things. So that stuff is really, um, compelling. It is. Uh, so there are a lot of cases uh, that you just scratch your head. So I'm, I'm, I'm really open to reincarnation. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm absolutely convinced. Um, but, um, I can't argue with the data that shows, you know, that 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 it happens. I've heard a few stories. I just, I'm I'm interested if if you know any particular examples that stick out to you about that. Well, you know, there's one case that you know that that that's depicted in the, in the Netflix series about um, this child who remembers uh, being um, an actor. You know, like back in the in the 30s and 40s. Or, or, uh, he was an actor and a producer. His name was Marty Martin. Um, and he talked about, you know, the, his previous life and the women that he slept with and and, and uh, the restaurants that he ate in. And, and he gave to, you know, Jim Tucker, who investigated the case, 50 um, specific pieces of information. That seems legit. You know, that were all <laughs> verified. You, you give know, me 50, I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, so, you know, it's not like two, you know. Like, you know <laughs> right, let alone. I mean, Jim's a scientist and, you know, and you, you know, crunch the numbers. I mean, when you have 50 and you calculate the odds against chance, I mean, they're just astronomical. Yeah. You know, so, um, 
some of these cases are hard to to refute. There was another uh, child that um, was a, a fighter pilot in a previous life, and he um, he even gave the name of a of, of the plane that wasn't. You couldn't look that up in records, and and uh, his co-pilot and the name of his co-pilot and and all these specific details and how he got shot down. Yes, um, you know, and the kid was five years old or six years old. So yeah, some of these things are uh, really amazing. That's the particular one that I that I read about. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah, <laughs> gives you goosebumps. Right. I have a uh, I have a five year old right now, and you know I think after reading that story, I, I asked him a couple months ago. I'm like, "What do you remember before you came out of uh, mommy's stomach?" And he's like, "I was in heaven waiting in line." And uh, you know, that's I what he said. <laughs> what he said. He hasn't he hasn't gone to church or anything. I, I don't know if he's maybe seen it or talked to friends and know knows what heaven yeah. is. But from his mom and me, we haven't we haven't discussed that yet. So it was it was interesting to hear him say that. Yeah. I find it so fascinating. I'm telling all my friends to ask their kids when they can speak English, you know, or communicate, like ask. Yeah. Them. <laughs> but it's not, yeah, and it's not only with past lives, you know, um, children, um, first of all, they're closer to, you know, where they were before because they're so young. Yeah. Yeah. And children um, have not been indoctrinated into society yet. So they don't know what the norms are and what they can talk about and not talk about. And a lot of kids talk about experiences like, you know, uh, they'll be looking at a photo album of their, you know, of their grandmother who they never met in real life and the parents never talked about them. And they'll see a picture and then they'll point to it and say, oh, that's, you know, grandma and mention the grandma's name and talk all about grandma and so forth. And, you know, a lot of times, um, or, or they have these, you know, dream visitations and so forth. And unfortunately, a lot of parents, um, because of that fear factor, you know, they think that there's something wrong and they take, yeah. the, they take the kid to a psychologist. The next thing you know, they're taking medication, um, you know, and, 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 and really the kid's just gifted in, 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 in having, you know, these, kind of non-physical intuitive experiences and it should be embraced not um dismissed or chucked aside just sit down with your child and 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 have a conversation you know and see what happens you know i agree yeah. yeah kids tell the truth i love them they're so they're so pure they don't they do not care they will just lay it out there most kids yeah yeah so i got a couple questions i because my dad's fascinated in this uh this topic as well so he wanted me to ask you a couple questions if you don't mind. Um, he wants to know if there are instances where um, you're clinically dead and you're heading up toward the light, but then you get denied because it's not your time to get. Yeah. As, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah, virtually every case, um, you know, um, has the people that come back. I mean, a large percentage of them say that very fact that uh, they loved where they were. They wanted to stay there. It was beautiful. They saw, you know, relatives. Um, they, you know, there were, uh, you know, colors that they never saw before, you know, and, and or music and, and so forth. And um, they had no desire to go back to the pain that they were in before. But they're told either by a, a, a deceased relative or by somebody else that it's not their time, um, that they have more work to do. Um, and they're sent back. Um, of course, the people that are not resuscitated, um, you know, was it the, was it their time? You know, I mean, because we don't, they died and they weren't resuscitated, so you know, yeah. you re, you really don't know. Um, yeah. The thing that the hardest thing uh, for me uh, is on a, on a personal level. Uh, you know, my wife passed about. A year and a half ago, and she was, uh, she had pancreatic cancer, and she was suffering horribly. Just no human should have to suffer like that. I'm sorry. And and I, um, at, you know, you know, near the end, um, you know, she she was ready, and she said to me, um, "There's a line," and I said, "Oh, you mean there's a, there's a line of people like waiting to get in." And she said, no, there's a line and they won't let me cross the line. Um, and I and I said, and, and when I thought about that, I said, come on, you can't tell me that 
she they wouldn't let her cross because she had more lessons to teach. She taught me all the goddamn lessons already. You know, I'm I'm watching her suffer. Yeah. You know, you know for for months upon months. Mm-hmm. You know, what what purpose could that yeah. possibly serve? You yeah. know, and then you know people will say, well, you know, you, you know, you learned. Uh, you know, just by caring for her, or was teaching you a lesson or, you know, more about love or whatever. But I have a hard time reasoning that out. You know, there's, there's a certain time where, you know, all the lessons have been taught and it's time to go, you know? Yeah. 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 I understand. Um, what are you doing to cope with that? That seems, I feel like, and I'm asking you on a personal level, just because you have a lot of experience. You've unfortunately had to to go through this, um, what types of things can, can people do to cope with that? It's, it's a, it's such a traumatizing, dramatic piece of one's life. Yeah. You know, I mean, listen, with, with all, with everything that I know and the experiences that I have, you know, you would think that somehow I'd be able to handle it better, but yeah, we're all human. Intellectual knowledge means nothing, uh, you know, compared to raw emotion, you know? So, yeah. um, you know, we love our, 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 our the people that that go, and I mean, just, just a certain amount of suffering, obviously. However, you know what studies have shown is that people in grief who believe in life after death, you know, do better in their grief than those that don't, and it makes sense, right? I mean, what yeah. what could possibly give you any hope at all or any comfort? Um, except knowing that your loved one still exists in another form. I yeah. mean, that, that's comforting. So if you get, can get to know that, um, you can do a lot better. So, you know, like in, on a personal level, when I certainly I have, you know, grief comes in waves and I have, some, I have these waves where sometimes the grief can be paralyzing, but the difference is I'm able to dig myself out because I can reflect upon everything that I've learned and experienced and know um, and then, you know, kind of flip the switch, you know. Uh, but those who believe that, um, you know, that that's it, that that's you're it. dead, you're dead, they, they don't, unfortunately, they don't have that mecha- coping mechanism that they can, to help themselves, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's common to hear that once a, a spouse, a loved one passes away, like a, a few months or weeks or months, like the other one, will pass away as well. Like yeah. That happened to, to my Nana and Pa. My Nana passed away unexpectedly, and my Pa was just, you can, he was just so heartbroken. Just that was that was it. That was keeping him on. Like, he was supposed to go first because he had cancer, and she, she went, and then not even, I think it was like a, a couple months went by, and he just passed away in his sleep. Yeah, you hear that so often. I mean, and, you know, it, People, you know, it's kind of like a euphemism. Oh, he died of a broken heart, but yeah, it's real. You know, I mean, it, for sure, the heart, the heart does, you know, give out. I listen after after my daughter uh, died. I um, yes. I wanted to die. I mean, I, I and I, I was amazed that I didn't drop dead of a heart attack because I, you know, I mean the the the, yeah. the, the, the stress and the, you know and sadness, you know, is is just all consuming. Um, so, but no matter how wished, how much I wished I would die, um, you know, it didn't happen, you know? So, yeah, it, you know, uh, so it's, um, you know, that started, I mean, that certainly changed my life. You know, I, I, I was, I'm a totally different person a hundred percent than what I was before she passed, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, clearly you, you still had things you had to do. So glad you didn't pass away because you, what you're doing right now is incredible. Hats off to you, sir. I mean, thank you. Sheesh. So I, I just have one more question for you, yeah. and then we'll wrap this sucker up. I appreciate you being here. Um, for people that that were dead but came back to life, um, are they scared to die again, or are they like kind of in a, a tranquil, like a uh, non-anxiety, at peace with the fact? You know, ninety percent of the people that come back lose completely lose all of fear of death um yeah. they have absolutely no fear because they've been to the other side um and um it's a place that they want to go again you know right, right. Um, and 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 oh, plus the fact that 
an overwhelming number of near-death experiences change their lives drastically because things that were important to them before are um, no longer important after having their experience. Sure. So they, they change their style of life. They change their, you know, their, their habits and, you know, the way that they, you know, sometimes the way that they treat other people. And, and, uh, and that's the most, comp- one of the most compelling things about the near death experience is the after effects yes. are, are lasting, you know, and it stays with them, you know, for the rest of their physical lives. Yeah. Yeah. Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. That was uh, knowledge packed. Loved it. Loved it very much. Um, usually at the end of each show, I'll give you a couple minutes or however long you need to go ahead and give a shout out to your websites, your social media, any people you want to give shout outs to, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, people can find out about the work that we do um, on uh, on our website, foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Um, and it goes into a lot of things that we've been talking about um, today. We also do four grief retreats across the country. We have mediums and grief professionals and so forth. And, you know, can uh, hear about that. Um, I write a personal blog on beyondthefivesenses.com. And that's just something I do for myself to get my thoughts out there before I explode. Um, and, uh, and my book is called The Medium Explosion. You can get that on Amazon. And it's a, kind of a, not an expose, but it, it, it it's like a handbook of what mediums do and how they do it and what to look out for. And it gives a, also gives a little um, overview of the evidence of, of an afterlife. Plus, I, I thought it was important. I put in a lot of personal experiences um, that I've had that defy explanation. Wonderful, wonderful, and also the uh, the Netflix docu series Surviving Death. Yeah, we're in uh, it, it, we're in it's six uh, part series. We're in the uh, half of the um, series, the season, the, not the season, episode four. Yeah, um, but um, people want to check that out. Beautiful, Bob. Thank you again for being here. I appreciate it. Thank You're you welcome. so much. My pleasure, Jay. You take care, everyone you else too. at home listening. See you later. <laughs>